Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, July 1st, 2018, on the basis of selected verses from Mark chapter 5. This month we are celebrating our fifth anniversary as a congregation. I've personally been around for four of those five years as the pastor. And as you might imagine, as I think back on those four years, like happens with a lot of life. Much of it is just sort of a blur. But as you also might imagine, there are certain moments that stick out. And as you might imagine, some of those moments that stick out in my mind are the high points, the baptisms, the confirmations, the weddings, the the specific conversations that I've had the privilege to be a part of, the Sundays when Our worship space is absolutely packed, so much so that people actually need to sit right up here in the front row, all of two feet in front of me. As you might also imagine, some of the parts of our congregation's history that stick out in my mind are the low points. And one moment in particular that will probably always stick in my mind is the day an anonymous letter arrived in the church mailbox. It was from a self-proclaimed concerned citizen of the village of Mount Horeb, an individual who apparently had done a little bit of investigation and research into our church, found out some of the the biblical positions to which our church holds, some of which, of course, aren't very popular in our world today. And the person felt the need to take the opportunity to let us know that those biblical positions were not welcome in this community. In fact, the letter concluded this way. I can only hope that churches like yours are a passing presence in this community. Now, I don't know how you would have reacted to something like that, but I have the tendency to care way too much about what other people think. And I have the tendency to want way too much for everyone to like me. I have the tendency to be very non-confrontational, to take things personally. And so even the thought that, that one person would sort of view our church or view me as the pastor as kind of this unwelcome intrusion in our community, well, I'd probably let that letter bother me way more than I should have. But... The more I think about it, and as I think about our five-year anniversary as a church, I'm sure the author of that letter didn't realize it at the time, but they were making a point that is not only true, but very important for us to consider. The reality is our church is an intruder in our community. It's an intruder in all of your lives. And that's not just true of our church, that's really true of any church that proclaims the message of Jesus, because as we're going to see in these verses from Mark chapter 5, Jesus himself is an intruder in your life and in any community. And it forces us to ask those important questions that we are considering today. Why? Why does Jesus want to intrude? And why would we want Jesus to intrude? Why, Why would a person want any part of that? as we have opportunity not only to review, but also recommit ourselves to the work we set out as a congregation to do. Why why does this work matter? Why is it so important? To get the answer to those questions, we'll turn our attention to these verses from Mark chapter 5 this morning. 
And we'll see why, in fact, Jesus insists so strongly on intruding. When you heard those verses read, I'm I'm guessing it didn't immediately strike you that Jesus was intruding on anyone. Kind of just sounds like one of those many stories that we find in the Gospels where, where Jesus uses his divine power to help someone out who was in need. And yet, not just in this case, but in just about every case, Anytime this happens, Jesus doesn't just sort of snap his fingers and make someone's problems all go away. He usually, almost always, takes the opportunity to sort of assess the person's faith and supply whatever might be lacking. And so in this case, we meet this man named Jairus. And we're told that he's one of the leaders of the local synagogue. Now, in Jesus' day, the synagogue was the center, not just of, of spiritual life in a community, but kind of, kind of social and community life in general. So it was kind of like the local church plus the local watering hole plus the local Starbucks just kind of all, all rolled into one. And as one of the leaders of this synagogue, we can imagine that this man, this man named Jairus, was sort of a mover and shaker in that town. He was well-known and well-connected. He was powerful and influential. He was probably a very busy guy. But one day he comes to Jesus, falls down at his feet, because in his words, his daughter is on the verge of death. What we need to realize is what that means is that this man named Jairus didn't come to Jesus when his daughter first got sick. He didn't come to Jesus when that illness persisted. He didn't come to Jesus when it was apparent that none of the doctors in town could do anything about it. No, he waited until she was on the verge of death. Even though Jesus had been in that area for quite some time, was preaching and teaching publicly, everyone knew Jesus, everyone knew where to find him. Jairus waited until she was on the verge of death to come and ask Jesus for help. Was he too busy with his daily tasks and appointments? Did he simply figure that a man as well-known and well-connected as he would be able to find someone else who could help before needing to bother Jesus? We don't really know, of course. But what's perhaps most interesting is to watch how Jesus responds. Contrary to what Jairus might have wished, Jesus doesn't just drop everything and swoop in to save the day. No, in fact, you maybe notice that there are actually ten verses that were cut out of today's gospel reading. Ten verses that come in between Jairus' initial request and when Jesus actually goes to his house. And in those ten intervening verses, if you read them, you can see very clearly that Jesus is deliberately stalling. He's deliberately taking his time. He comes across another woman who needs his help. Sure, she's not on the verge of death, but she has her own illness. And not only does Jesus grant her healing, but Jesus also takes time to to sort of single her out from the crowd of people that was around him, to call out her faith, to call attention to it and commend her for it. And we can just picture that while all of this delay is going on, Jairus is standing there right at the side of Jesus, just ready to scream, Jesus, hurry up. Jesus, can't this wait? Jesus, you can come back and deal with this woman later. My daughter is on the verge of death. But no, Jesus not only stalls, but he stalls so long that eventually word comes from the house. It's too late. Nothing more can, we, can be done. We might as well not bother the teacher anymore. Jairus' daughter was dead. But of course, far from it being too late, now Jesus had Jairus exactly where he wanted him. 
He turned to Jairus and said, Don't be afraid, only believe. See, it seemed as though Jesus knew that Jairus thought he could kind of just live his life, do his thing, and then right at the drop of a hat, Jesus would stop everything, swoop in to save the day at the last minute. It seems as though Jairus thought that he could simply intrude on Jesus whenever he wanted, and Jesus would be there ready and waiting. But Jesus made it very clear that he wanted it the other way around. Jesus wanted to be a much bigger part of Jairus' life. Jesus wanted Jairus to trust him long before his daughter was on the verge of death. Jesus wanted Jairus to trust him even after it seemed as though nothing more could be done. Jairus thought he would be able to intrude on Jesus, but Jesus made it very clear that he wanted to intrude on much more of the life of this man named Jairus. Do you think Jesus needs to teach us the same lesson? It sure is easy to think that a good, strong relationship with Jesus, well, it sure is nice, as long as it fits in with everything else that we want to do in our lives. As long as it doesn't force us to do anything inconvenient, like rearrange our schedules to make sure that we are spending time with Jesus each week in his house, in his word. As long as it doesn't force us to do anything uncomfortable, like take the message of Jesus and share it with someone who needs it. Like go out into our community with what we know about Jesus and find people who need Jesus and share Jesus with them. Of course, we want Jesus to be a part of our lives. We want him to be standing there ready and waiting when we put our bat signal up into the sky so that he can swoop down in the night and save us right at the last minute before it's too late. But as long as everything is going okay, as long as everything is fine, it's so easy to want to keep him sort of at a distance, sort of at arm's length. Well, friends, not just in this case, but in countless cases in the Gospels, Jesus makes it very clear that he is not content with that. Jesus wants our relationship with him to impact every single facet of our lives. He wants to be the most important thing in determining our daily to-do list, our weekly schedule, our monthly budget. He wants to be a part of every single facet of our lives. He doesn't want us to have the attitude that we can just intrude on him whenever we need him. No, instead, he makes it very, very clear over and over again that he insists on intruding in every single aspect of our lives. Which again brings us back to that question of why. Why does he insist on that and why would we want anything to do with that? Well, Jesus knew that this man named Jairus needed to see the answer firsthand. And so he allowed that to happen. He delayed and he stalled long enough until word came back that his daughter had, in fact, died. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I, I need to warn you ahead of time. It's a question to which the answer seems very, very easy and obvious, but I need to warn you that I'm actually setting a trap for you that I hope you'll just walk right into. The question is this. Do you think the death of his 12-year-old girl changed things for Jairus? Do you think it maybe changed his perspective a little bit? Do you think it maybe forced him to reevaluate his priorities? Do you think that if Jairus could have done anything 
to prolong the life of his daughter, even by just one day, he would have done anything to make that happen. He would have dropped everything else that he had to do. He would have rescheduled all of his appointments. He would have done anything he could have in order to make that happen. It's easy for us, of course, to realize that if if someone would tell us that one of our children's lives were going to come to an end on their 12th birthday, that would change a few things for us. We would live our lives differently. We would reshuffle our priorities. If there were anything that we could do to keep them safe and protect them and prolong their lives, we would exhaust all possibilities in order to make that happen. But here's the thing. The reality of our situation and the information that we do in fact have isn't all that different from that. In fact, let me ask. I'm guessing there was a a point in your life where there was some specific skill, some activity, some hobby that was really, really important to you that you spent a lot of time and energy and effort on. In fact, just for the sake of argument this morning, let's pick on sports. Sports deserves to get picked on every now and then, I think. For many of you in the room this morning, there there might have been a time in your life when a particular sport or sports in general were very, very important to you. And so let me ask, as you sit here today, right here, right now, how much is your life impacted by whether you were good enough to make the starting five or whether you always sat on the end of the bench? can I venture a guess to say it impacts your life absolutely zero? Or what about thinking back to a time in our lives when it was very, very important for us to be well-liked and well-accepted? When there was maybe a very specific group of people or maybe just one individual person where it was very important for them to like us. In fact, so important that we may be dressed differently acted differently, talked differently, someone so important that maybe we would have done anything in order to win their approval. Again, let me ask, as you sit here today, right here, right now, how much of your life is impacted by whether you were the homecoming queen or whether it seemed as though no one in your school even knew your name? Can I venture a guess as to say that it's absolutely zero? So then let me ask, why in the world would we look at the things that are so important to us now and say that somehow they would be any different? That 5, 10, 15 years from now, we won't look back and realize the very same thing? Or why in the world would we not only allow our children, but enable and push and nudge our children to follow that very same path that maybe we followed? Why would we allow them to spend so much time and energy and thought and worry about things that are going to be gone from their lives by their 18th birthday? Why would we not help them follow a path that has a little bit more of a perspective? Why should we allow Jesus to intrude into every single facet of our lives? Forget about the fact that lots of the things in our lives come and go very, very quickly. The entirety of our lives will come and go very, very quickly. Why should we let Jesus intrude? Because one day, another intruder is surely coming. Life is short and death is waiting for all of us. And when that day comes, it will take everything 
that we've spent so many hours working for and spent so many sleepless nights worrying about, and it will bring them to a screeching halt and a permanent end. And the only way that that can be any different is if Jesus intrudes first. Look at what happened. Everyone thought it was too late and that nothing could be done, but Jesus knew better, of course. And notice that when Jesus decided that he was still going to help, he didn't just stand there at a distance, wave his magic wand, and and bring the girl back to life. No, he intruded as far as he possibly could into these people's lives. He went all the way to their homes. He went all the way to the very room where the daughter was lying down. He removed from the situation all of the friends and all of the family who were mourning over her death. And then Jesus did something that I'm guessing those parents, Jairus and his wife, had probably done dozens of times themselves. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And it was just as easy as that something that all of the parents in the room have probably done. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. Now, if you've had a chance to do that with a 12-year-old girl or maybe even a teenager, I'm guessing you would think to yourself, well, it's not quite that easy. Sometimes they don't wake up. But the reality, of course, is that no matter how tired someone is, no matter how sound of a sleeper they are, you have more power than sleep, don't you? If you really want to, you can wake someone up. My wife might disagree with me on that when it comes to my Sunday afternoon naps, but the reality is that if you want to wake someone up, you can make it happen. And that's exactly what death is like with Jesus. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. This was just a preview. By his perfect life and innocent death, Jesus would eventually destroy the power of death forever. And one day, each and every one of us will hear those words. It's time to get up. And that iron grip that death has over us will be forced to release itself for all eternity. Why? Why does this matter? Why is this so important? Let me tell you, as I look ahead to year number six of our congregation's history, I'm hoping that by a year from now, when our our lease on this place is up, We actually have to find a bigger place to worship. Or at the very least, we've we've got to figure out how to make room for everybody to fit in here on a Sunday morning. So why? Why would you continue to make being in God's house, with God's people, in God's word, not just some begrudging obligation that you need to do each week, not just something that, that is nice as long as there's nothing else going on on a Sunday morning. Why would you make it the most important hour of your family's week, the hour around which everything else must revolve? Why? As I look ahead to year number six, I'm very excited that this year we're going to have our biggest confirmation class, starting that confirmation program that we've, we've ever had. Five children are going to be starting that two-year program of study. If you ask anyone that's been through it, they'll tell you it's a lot of work, not just for the students, but also for the parents. It takes a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of commitment. Why? Why spend that much time studying God's Word? As I look ahead to year number six, I can tell you that we are going to continue to proactively, even aggressively, try and identify people in our community who are not connected to Jesus, to try and reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, in some cases, we're just going to show up at their door unannounced, talk about intruding on someone's life, right? 
And guess what? The first opportunity, you don't have to wait long. Tomorrow night, as we go out again to try and visit new residents to our area and deliver a welcome gift to them. Why? Why would anyone want to be a part of that? Why? Because death is an intruder that is surely coming, that will rip from our arms all of our loved ones, that will rob from us our opportunity to see our hopes and dreams fulfilled, that will reduce everything that we work at our hands to accomplish to, to nothing more than rubble. But look at what happens when Jesus intrudes first. That eternal intruder of death is robbed of all of its power for all eternity. In fact, I'll take a hundred anonymous letters from concerned citizens of Mount Horeb. I'm perfectly happy to think of ourselves as a church that is an unwelcome intruder in our community, in your lives, because guess what? That's exactly what each and every one of us needs. That's exactly what the people of our community need. They need Jesus to intrude. In fact, far more than remembering that letter, I'll just think about the day when Jesus shows up and says to each and every one of us, and God willing, a countless host of others, says it, it's time to get up. And I'll picture those people saying, you know what, Jesus? Through so-and-so, through that Christian, through that church, you really intruded into my life. And boy, I sure am glad you did. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org. Thank you.